0: The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Let's take our Bibles this morning, if we would, turn to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. If you're unfamiliar with where that is, just... Um, Go to the far right hand side of your Bible and then turn back to the left, several books and you should come across the book of Philippians. While you're turning, I just want to say, wonderful music this morning, Is that uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to worship the Lord and uh, I'm just very thankful for this service this morning, how paramount and central the reading of the Word of God has been in this service today. It does my heart good, I hope that it does yours as well. And uh, I want to say that uh, we are, Connie and I, are so thankful to be back with you today. Uh, we are appreciative of the uh, time for the sabbatical. We had a, a, a good time together, very restful, very profitable, and the Lord, uh, the Lord blessed greatly. But we are glad to be, as nowhere like home, right? It's good to be back home uh, with family and friends today. And uh, we begin a new series in the book of Philippians. Uh, Interesting little note uh, in the coming weeks and months, I'll be able to share with you what the Lord was doing in my heart on the sabbatical. We had an opportunity to visit four or five churches over the course of the sabbatical. And uh, on your time of vacation, maybe you don't go to a bunch of churches, but you know, I guess when you're a preacher, that's what you do. You go to a bunch of churches. But you know, the crazy thing was uh, we went to four different services, and one of the things that I took away from the sabbatical was this. Every Time we heard preaching in all four of those churches, the average length of the sermon was 50 minutes. And I just, in my heart, I just rejoiced greatly because my average length is about 37 to 38 minutes. And I thought, you know what? Surely our church would want me to incorporate what I learned on the sabbatical and bring that back here. And so, y'all hold on tight. We'll get out about 1:30. And uh, no, I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. We won't. We won't be that long today. Next week is a different story, but not today. Um, Brothers and sisters, uh, I put in uh, had put in here in your bulletin a little uh, profile, and I, I do want to extend my thanks to Max Adders for uh, helping in the putting together of this. So this is some of this is compilation, but uh, many of you use study Bibles. I know you do, and and so uh, a lot of times I can see those that have study Bibles while I'm preaching. You're kind of sitting there looking like, yeah, give me something I don't know already, because you already have it in your study Bible. But uh, for those of you that are a little bit on the a- uh, A.D.D. side like with me, rather than giving you 15 pages of Bible background, I just decided to give you a little bit of a profile here of the letter and of the city of Philippi and of the author himself, that would be the Apostle Paul, and then things to look for on the back of your sheet. You'll notice as we go through this series, words to look for, Christ Jesus mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so, I want to look for um, words like mind, and then the word joy, alright, the word joy or rejoice, and the word fellowship, the word gospel, and then the phrase the day of Christ, and so that first, uh, uh, today, even in a today's Sermon, Christ Jesus, you'll notice the repetition of that. And then next week, we'll cover verses 3 through 11, and so you'll see some of those abounding. Uh, the principal divisions of the book, I gave you those in case you want to read along with us. Uh, and um, and we will pick up, for those of you that have time on Friday during your lunch break, or uh, if you're retired, we will pick up here this coming uh, Friday. If you want to bring a lunch, I will eat my lunch in the um, Uh, conference room about 12 o'clock a little bit after and we'll just read through the book of Philippians together and uh, and see what the Lord has for us and then uh, the theme of the book of Philippians as best as I can tell is Philippians teaches us the sufficiency of Christ in all areas of life and true joy comes from having our minds Fixed on Him. Now, uh, I'm not sure if you've studied the book of Philippians before. Uh, you know, It's kind of a whole smorgasbord of who wants to put their theme in the book. And so you might find many studies that will say the book of Philippians is all about joy. And uh, I don't want to be mean on that. It's just simply that's wrong. The theme of the book of Philippians is the sufficiency of Christ Jesus in all areas of life. And it is because Christ Jesus is sufficient That therefore you can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. The joy is coming from and flowing out not of our own heart, not of the things that are good in our life, but they come from a sense of understanding that no matter who I am or where I am or what the circumstances of my life, Christ Jesus and Him and Him alone are sufficient for all things. And when you know that Jesus alone is sufficient, there is no other joy in all the world greater than that. Amen? Philippians chapter number 1, verse number 1 and 2. Today we'll deal with a big word here for you. The salutation just simply means the opening of this letter. And then next week we'll deal with verses 3 through 11, which really is the thanksgiving and the prayer uh, that uh, the Apostle Paul has for the church at Philippi. But read along there with me if you would. He says, uh, Paul and Timothy, uh, servants, or your translation may say bondservants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, along with or uh, with according to the overseers, bishops, maybe elders, uh, probably overseers the best word there, along with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Isn't that just a wonderful way to open up this wonderful book for us? And I just draw your attention to a couple of things before we really dive in here and take it a phrase at a time. Notice that in verse 1 and 2, there is a threefold repetition of this phrase, in Christ Jesus, right? He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints that are in Christ Jesus. There's the second one. And then the third one you'll find in verse number 2. Grace and peace to you who are from, the, from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me make three major points to you today. We'll walk through the verses and we'll call it a, a good morning today. The first point I want to make to you from verse number 1 is this. The very nature of the Christian life is to be a servant of Jesus Christ. When you boil down what it means to be in the ministry, when you boil it down what it means to be a a Christian in the service of God, then you can't get too far from saying that somewhere toward the center of the Christian life must be this attitude of service. Look back, if you will, at verse number 1. He says, Paul and Timothy. Now, if you're like me when you're reading there, you you probably want to roll off your, your tongue, Paul, an apostle of Christ. But that's not the way that this epistle opens up, is it? He does this in the book of Romans. He does this in the book of 1 Corinthians. But in many other books of the Bible, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he say in some books that he's the apostle? And in this book he says, I am the servant of Christ Jesus. Well, you'll find that most of the times when the Apostle Paul is making this very declaratory, this, this great imperative call to the church, when he's bringing instruction and correction, he will say to the church, I am the Apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, I have the authority to write to you. But when he writes to this church, it is a church who is doing right, who is loving Christ, who is sending aid, who is giving the gospel, and he writes to encourage them. And so what he says here is, Paul... And Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. You'll notice that in the rest of your book, it's not Paul and Timothy writing the letter. He includes Timothy because all of the believers at Philippi had a great affinity for um, young Timothy himself. He had ministered to them. He had been a part of the preaching of the gospel. And so the church at Philippi, they really loved Timothy. But it is Paul that writes this entire epistle by himself. Timothy may have been, here's a big word for you tomorrow, the ammunensis or amanuensis. It just simply meaning like a man criteria, right? secretary somebody that wrote down for the apostle paul but you'll find that the rest of this book is written in the first person paul will say i am writing to you and i am praying for you and i am calling for you to do this so the apostle paul is the one that is writing the letter paul and timothy notice here what's it say next servants or bond servants of christ jesus if you were to read this in the original what you would find is that there is no definite article, in fact there is no article at all between Paul and Timothy and the word bondservant or the word servant in your your Bible translation it simply means that the very nature of Paul and Timothy is to be a servant of Jesus Christ, for instance you'll find this spoken of the Lord Jesus himself when John is writing in 1 John he says God is light, there's no definite article it's not that God is the light but that God in Himself, in His nature, in who He is as the grand being of the universe. It is light and in Him is no darkness at all whatsoever." Again, you'll find that John says the same thing. God is love. It is not that God just acts in loving ways. It is not that God just does loving and kind things, but in the very nature, in the makeup that that, that, that composes the very being of the Almighty God is love. And what is this saying here? That the very nature of Paul and Timothy as ministers of the Gospel, as Christians, as alive and well and writing to the church, they are saying by nature we we are the servants of Christ. And can I just pause for a moment and give you a little bit of premature application and just ask you, in your Christian life before God Himself right now, if you have to look yourself in the mirror, would you be able to say the very heart of my life is that I want to serve Jesus Christ the most important thing to me, that which defines me, that which people know me by, that which I give all of my attention and my money and my time and my heart and my soul, the very makeup, the, very, the strongest part of my life is that I am a servant of Jesus Christ. If that is not the case in your life today, then you are not right with Jesus Christ. And this is the day and this is the hour that you can come to Him and say, I am putting myself, I am putting others, I am putting possessions, I am putting relationships, I am putting many things above you. And what I need to do is lay all of those down on the altar. And I need you to be the center and the joy and the culmination of my life is to be a a servant of Jesus Christ. This word here for servant uh, has probably two connotations. One is a Greek and one is a Hebrew connotation. And so uh, I almost, the, the word here that in your Bible where it says servant or bondservant, uh, that's just a kind way. Probably the best way to translate that word is the word slave. And I, I feel odd about that because you know what? That, that word carries horrible connotations with it in our society. But if you were to go back to when this Scripture was being read and and written, you'd understand that what they mean here by servant or slave is not forced slavery, but somebody who voluntarily says, I want to serve that master all the days of my life, for they are good and they are gracious and they provide for me. And are you a slave of Jesus? or are you a slave to all other kinds of gods? I I would submit to you today that if you'll make yourself a servant, a slave of Jesus, He will free you from every other master in the world. Some of you in here are servants of sin. You're in bondage to the devil and the powers of darkness and the sin that so easily besets you. And this is the day and this is the hour to lay that down and come to Jesus and bow before Him and to say, I will be a servant of yours. Save me, wash me, and I will serve you all the days of my life. And He alone can break the power and the chains of sin, and He can set us free to all the other masters in our life, and we can serve Him all the days of our life. Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. And then secondly, look here in the middle part of that verse. He says, who's he writing to? Who's the recipients of the letter? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi along with the overseers and the deacons. Let me take that apart for it. it. says here, to all the saints... Let me stop there for a moment and just say, saints are people who are living, not dead. Okay? And uh, let me just maybe make an illustration that's been in the news recently. And I want to be very gracious here. Uh, I have enormous respect and uh, regard for Mother Teresa. Uh, many of you noticed, uh, I think last Saturday or last Friday, uh, in the Catholic Church, she was sainted. Okay? And so uh, she did a wonderful work. Uh, She helped many. But I do want to help us correct here. I want to be very careful and kind to uh, everybody we possibly can. But what I do want you to know is that the biblical understanding of the word saint has nothing to do with seeing your image on a piece of toast or doing all kinds of miraculous things or people getting healed after you've died and all of this kind of stuff. Let me tell you who a saint is. A saint is somebody who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and they have turned from their sin. They've put their faith in Christ. Their sins have been washed away. And if you are alive and well today in the kingdom of God by faith, you are as much of saint as any person who has ever lived in all of the world. What does it mean to be a saint? To all the saints in Christ Jesus the word there for saint is very much the, similar in, in nature to the very word that we would get the word holy from. It has a connotation of many to be separate, to be set apart. And I just want to take a moment to stress to us that our service needs to be in Christ, but our separation needs to be in Christ. And I know that is unpopular even in ba- Baptistic and Evangelical circles to preach anymore, but I want to just take this apart and take a moment. I'm not a legalist. I'm not trying to hold anything over anybody's head. I'm not telling you what to see and where to go and what you can listen to. But for heaven's sakes, the Bible does teach that there is a difference between believing Christians and the world. And if your life doesn't show a difference between you and the world, something in there is wrong. We are called to be separate and distinct. The Bible says, "Be holy, for I am holy." Now, let me begin by saying, our holiness, first of all, is imparted to us. It is imputed to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, through His death, burial, and resurrection. All of our sin was placed upon Him on the cross, and all of His righteousness was imputed into us. And so, by nature, we are set apart and we are holy unto God. But in the way that we live every day of our lives, we We are to live out in practice what we are by nature on the inside. And so, that means that if the holiness of Christ on the cross was imputed to me and made me anew and alive in the kingdom of God, then that means that should dictate and that should influence the things that I say with my mouth and the places I go with my feet and the things that I see with my eyes and what I do with my hands. My whole life should be holy, distinct, and separate unto God. All right? Now, get me straight here, all right? I want you to leave here today saying, you know, Pastor Steve said all the women got to leave out of here and their dresses got to be all the way up to their necks and below their feet and you got to wear uh, culottes and nobody can wear makeup and can't ever go see a movie or listen to me. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying that you got to wear a three piece suit and have a bullhorn and go downtown Raleigh and preach the gospel. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that the Bible says that we are to be different, we are to be separate. So let me give you just a, a, a moment of teaching. There are two ways in which we learn to be separate to the Lord. The Bible talks about, first of all, putting off the old man, killing killing the old nature, and so constantly praying and seeking to run away and put away the old sins of our life. But there is a second way, and that is by learning to love and be in awe and be filled with the glory of Jesus Christ. The more you learn to love Jesus, the more you read about him and follow him and lift out, live after him and do what he said to do, the more he grows tender and near to your heart. And all of the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious face. Are you working at that in your life? Our separation is in Christ. And then notice there in that same verse, that is not only on the individual level, but it is on the entire level of the corporate church. And notice what he says here, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, to all of them, along with the overseers and the deacons. The word there for overseer uh, is kind of synonymous with other words in the New Testament, such as elder and bishop and pastors, alright? And so this word here, it's. Um, Oh man, I was almost going to say that for you, but I don't want to get it wrong. I've got some Greek scholars in here. The, the word means to, it really does mean to oversee. It's the first word there. It's a compound word. One meaning to look over and the second one to look through a scope. All right. And so it is this overscoping so to say. And notice there do you see let me do a little teaching here. Give me give me just a few minutes. And notice that there is order within the Church of God here to all the saints and then to these offices to the overseers and to the deacons. All right? And these overseers notice that that is plural. And you'll find that to be the case in almost every reference in the New Testament that it's not the pastor of the church but the pastors. Oh boy. <laughs> We've got a long way to go, don't we? It's not the pastor, but it's the pastors, the elders, plural, the overseers, plural. These, uh, these would be a group of men who would give spiritual uh, guidance and oversight to the church. They, uh, they, they lead and guide uh, in these ways. They do the, the counseling, they do the ministering, they do the teaching. Uh, they are really taking care of the spiritual arm of the church. And at the same time, you have this other office of these deacons who were, the word here is for servant, but it's not the same as in verse number 1 where it says Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. It is a different word for the word servant. It means a service for the people of God. And so you have this group of men that take care of the physical needs. They help the widows and the orphans and those who are poor and those who are needy. They take care of the physical nature of the church and the buildings and the finances. And then this second arm, this physical arm of the church. And so you have the uh, spiritual arm and the physical arm of the church that are taking care of together. Doesn't this remind you of Acts chapter number six, where the Bible says that? When the early church gathered together, there were some of the the widows who were being neglected. And what did did they do? Instead of the apostles uh, serving those tables, the Bible says that we must give ourselves to uh, to prayer, to the ministry of prayer and the Word. And it said, look you out among seven men filled with the Holy Spirit that they might take care of the physical needs of the people. As we move forward in the life of our church, be well for us to think through how we organize and how best our church can look and act and mimic the teaching of the New Testament. Our service is in Christ, our distinction, our separation is in Christ. To all the saints, in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, along with the overseers and the deacons. Verse number 2, and we'll finish with this for today. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace this don't look over this when you're reading these epistles. This is a very common, uh, a very common greeting for the apostle Paul to say, "Grace and peace." And when he writes to the pastorals, when he writes to Timothy and to Titus, because uh, he knows that he's dealing, they're, they're going to be dealing with people who are difficult within the church, he adds in their mercy, grace, mercy and peace be to you. But in this passage, he says, "Grace, and, grace and peace be to you." Don't just look over that. Let me give you a few reasons why. First of all, do you know that if you'll read the beginning of this epistle and the end of this epistle, you will find that not only in words, but in essence, that this theme of grace and peace is repeated in the first chapter and in the last chapter of the book of Philippians. Also, grace and peace in Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians begins the book and ends the book. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the peace that comes from God the Father are paramount for our lives. First of all, grace. Grace is the unearned and unmerited favor of God. I want you to hold on with me for a minute here, my believers that are in here and unbelievers, those who wholeheartedly buy into this and those who are a little skeptical. I want to give you an illustration that I believe is a biblical and accurate understanding of grace, biblical grace. I want to see if this is what you find in your life. I was thinking earlier this week about how best to explain grace to you. I was thinking about how this is 9-11 and we think about... um, we think about uh, all of our first responders and how appreciative we are for that and we think back about uh, you know all those years ago 15 years ago and then all of the wars and the things that have taken place in these many years and here is what i was thinking about i don't want to call his name but there was a man in the military a soldier a few years ago who was found to be a deserter you know who i'm talking about found himself in the news he was a deserter he deserted his platoon he he went off to assist the enemy time and money and effort and blood was spilt to go and retrieve him and bring him back into this country And if it is true that he honestly deserted the United States of America and all of the military, then he is justly doomed. It is wrong and it should have never happened. What if he was given the Medal of Honor? And what if He was given full privilege. And what if he was lifted up from that position to be esteemed and appreciated by the Commander-in-Chief of the United States of America? I would say to you this. Grace is that every person in this room at one point or another in your life has been a deserter of God. The Bible calls us the enemy of God. Deep and dark, sinful in our soul. None of us are neutral. None of us are normal. All of us are desperately, desperately wicked. The Bible teaches that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you. Not after. Not before. But when Christ goes to the cross in the middle of all of your sin and all of your shame and all of our wickedness in the middle of everything that we have done wrong Christ died for our sin so that He might impart new life into us and that He might raise us up from the dead and set us upon that platform and show us as the trophies of His grace. That's what Ephesians 2 says. What is the grace of God? The grace of God is that He comes to us in our sin and in our shame and He bears the load of all the just judgment of the world that belongs on that man and 10,000 times more on all of us before the mighty God of heaven and He takes all of the judgment and all of that and He puts it upon Christ on the cross so that when Jesus dies He takes away all of that from your life and He gives you new life and He considers you one of his own children, heirs to the kingdom of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. No matter how bad you've been, no matter how unworthy you think you are on the inside, Jesus died for you. And he loves you. And if you'll lay down your weapons and your pride and you'll ask Him to save you and you give your whole life to Him, He'll wash away every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit. And He'll lift you up out of the dirt of life as a trophy of His grace. That's grace. And maybe you're in here today and you're wrestling with that illustration that I just gave you. That'd probably be a good thing for you to wrestle with. You shouldn't just come to every sermon and go, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want you to think about that. I want you to wrestle in your heart with that. Because there is, there is something there to justice, and there should be a penalty, and that something should be paid. The man did wrong. He deserted all of this death and mayhem had to happen for him. And all I want to say to you is: all of the penalty has been paid in Christ Jesus for you. And for me i just give you, Connie and I were driving down the road. I was talking to her uh, just about things in the Bible, and, and uh, she was being sweet to me and saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, we, we get it so wrong, right? I, was, I, I don't want to burst your bubble about stories in the Bible, but, you know, when you hear stories about David and Goliath, and and you hear people kind of teach it and sing about it, and we need to be like David, and we, we can defeat Goliath with the help of God. That's not the point of the story. The author is writing the point of the story in the Old Testament to tell you you're Israel. You're the coward. You're the one sitting on the side of the hill that has no hope and you're helpless and the enemy is stronger than you'll ever be and you're cowardly and sinful and all of your trust needs to go into one man who alone can make, uh, make us right. Jesus. Every time you read the stories of the Bible, understand, find the worst party in the story. It's you. And God comes to save us in Christ. See that? Our service is in Christ. Our separation is in Christ. Our salvation. What's the origin? Look, verse number two grace to you and peace. Where's the origin of the grace and the peace? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sufficiency is in Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes for a moment. Our sufficiency is in Christ. In in just a minute, I just want you to just pray right where you are, kind of, Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. That's what I want to do today. Just take a moment and pray silently. If you're here and you're a believer, you know Jesus, would you ask Him, does He have your full heart of service? Are you completely dedicated to serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Are there areas of your life that you, you need to be separate and holy? you need to kill off the old and fall in love with Christ again? Maybe there'd be somebody here today who say, "You know what? I know I'm a sinner. I feel in my heart that I, I am away from God. I am not a believer in Him. But I want to be. You can do business with the Lord right now, seriously in your heart. Confess your sin." And ask Him to have mercy on you. And if you do that from a humble and a sincere heart, He will save you. He is sufficient for all that is going on in your life now. Church, maybe this is the best way to end the service today. No music. Let's stand together. And now, uh, let me have a, a word of prayer with us today. Remember, this is a, a good way for us to begin in the book of Philippians by acknowledging that Christ is sufficient. As we leave here today, we rejoice in that. We have an excitement in our heart over what He is and who He is and what He's done for us. But I also think that... Uh, This would be a good day for us to really seriously give our hearts and lives to Him. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcralee.com.